1: Hello, this is The Delicious Legacy, and I'm Thomas Dinas. Welcome to another episode of Gastronomical Adventures. I do hope I find you all healthy and well. When the first lockdown came into effect, all the way back in late March, early April, a lot of people, and by a lot I mean a lot, went into some weird panic buying mode stocking up their home larders with all the available flour and ready-made yeast from the supermarket shelves. Where once stood rows and rows with bags of kamut corasan flour, wholemeal-spelt flour, strong bread flour. Now there were only remnants of it, some sad little red bread mix bags, flour dust on the shelves, and nothing else. It was like an abandoned ex-gold mine town in the deserts of the far west. The only thing missing was some tabling weed to complete the scene of total desolation and abandonment that was created in England's supermarkets in the spring of the year of the Lord 2020. People wanted to make bread at home. I guess everybody wanted to make bread at home. I was making bread at home before that, but um yeah, I didn't have the chance to make um, during the first uh, months of lockdown. Basically, we weren't sure how long all this would last and we had free time and we wanted to nourish ourselves and feel the familiar comforting taste and smell of freshly baked bread. Surely, a very human feeling, something that is in our DNA, right? <laughs> This created another problem though. A lot of home bakers ran out of their packaged yeast pretty soon, and then there were cries of, we can't bake bread. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Yeast is everywhere. Yeast is free and you can grow it at home, just like our ancestors did for thousands of years. Up until maybe 100 years ago, only when finally mankind managed to capture and grow yeast commercially. Really, all bread up to 100 years ago was sourdough. It wasn't really called sourdough, it was called bread. We just had to nurture the yeast ourselves, in our homes again, and bake like the ancient Egyptians did. And this is my point. Bread is fundamental to our society. It's one of the most important parts from the civilizations that arose in the Middle East and the Mediterranean, the past 6,000 years. There were three basic elements of this Trinity, oil, bread and wine, and bread was one of the most important ones too. So today, I will sing the praises of bread. We will see the history and myths and techniques of this delicious, nourishing magical food going from the seed of a wild grass to dust, and then this warm, crunchy, chewy deliciousness that fed empires. As I said just before, bread is one-third of the Trinity. The Trinity is bread, oil, wine, or oil, bread, wine. This uh, These gifts, this Trinity in a sense, was attributed to benevolent and peace loving deities who might not be the most feared but were always the most loved gods. In ancient Greek religion, was Athena, Demeter, and Dionysus. So oil, bread, and wine. Of course, bread and oil and wine existed long before uh, the Greeks, but no one before them spoke so eloquently on the subject. It was perhaps easier to be a good a good talker if you began your day like the Greeks in the fifth century B.C. with breakfast of bread dipped in wine. Akradosome, from Akhrados, pure wine. It is certainly true for most of us now anyway. After a few glasses of nice wine or beer, or three, we certainly talk a lot more and perhaps smoother. Anyway, this breakfast slash meal was identical to the appeasing, pacifying offers given to the gods. A kind of grace before meals. The Greek playwright Euripides said, What is abundance? In a word, and no more, the wise are content with what is necessary. And we can all agree, what could be more necessary than bread, oil, and wine? Bread s- seems uh, to be something uniquely common to all cultures, and what most humans since the agricultural revolution ate for sustenance. The earliest empirical evidence for the preparation of bread-like products are by the Natufian hunter-gatherers, which is in um, in archaeological terms, it's um, basically late Paleolithic era. Uh, It was a culture that um, archaeologists found evidence in the Levant, dating around 15,000 years to 11,000 and a half years ago, which is... 4,000 years before the emergence of uh, the Neolithic agricultural way of life, Uh, with the discovery of uh, charred food remains, uh, archaeologists uh, were allowed to reconstruct um, an operational chain of uh, early production of bread-like products. We sometimes have a very wrong impression about ancient people. We believe the diet was extremely poor or very basic and perhaps tasteless, or that they've struggled to produce enough food to satisfy their calorific needs, which on balance is a generalization and could be quite wrong. Ancient people were neither primitive nor stupid. They supported large urban societies across the world using agricultural methods that were very different from ours. Ancient polycultures sustained these urban civilizations for many centuries continuously, and, I mean, dare I say for millennia, as in the case of the Egyptians and Sumerians. The old kingdom Egyptians didn't use ovens like we do today. They baked in conical clay pots called beja. The ancient Egyptians of that period baked using embers in special sets of holes in the ground. The written record in hieroglyphs allows us to hear directly from our ancestors from thousands of years ago. In their own voices. It's incredible and moving, and is surely the most amazing way to be able to feel close to them. Along with early beer making, the ancient Egyptians are often credited with being the first civilization to ferment dough and bake leavened loaves in clay ovens, as opposed to cooking bread over fire pits, in hearths, or with the use of hot ashes, stones, sherds, or tiles. This fermented dough, or leaven, would be the fundamental ingredient for making leavened bread for millennia to come. And we have written record of its use in the classical Mediterranean through Pliny the Elder's Naturalis Historia. And uh, we'll come back to Pliny and his recipe for leavened bread uh, later on in our episode. But what do we know about how the bread was made? Artists' impressions of of a bakery was found in the 5th dynasty tomb of Tai at Sakara, where stages of winnowing, pounding, grinding, sieving, and baking are shown uh, from circa 2400 BC, four and a half thousand years ago, more or less. Uh, I'll post the scene um, on my Patreon, uh, I'll post the, sk- the sketch of the scene in my Patreon so you can see uh, what uh, the archaeologists found, and um, from that scene you, you'll you see the inferred baking process as follows. Number one, heat the pots on fire. Number two, place a heated pot down. Number three, pour the dough in the heated pot. Four, place a second heated pot on top. Five, cover with embers to cook. However, the art uh, can't always be trusted and there seems to be parts of the story that uh, don't quite up or the details are missing. The objective of ancient Egyptian art wasn't to, uh, to accurately tell a story to us. But uh, but to allow the activity, i.e., the baking of bread, to continue in the afterlife. So this drawing, uh, which will um, which you can uh, see on my Patreon, has a neck carton on depressions in the bakery floor, where the heated upside down uh, beza pots that we mentioned earlier could be placed. There are a variety of bread loaves found in tombs from the New Kingdom, having different shapes sizes and even decorations, Uh, some having simple shapes such as discs and fans, and others formed in recognizable shapes of a fish or human figures. They also added flavorings to the bread, such as herbs uh, like coriander seeds or eggs or butter, and sometimes they used to sweeten their bread with honey or dried fruits such as dates and figs. The modern climate of Egypt is responsible for preserving a lot of of organic materials, including uh, bread loaves. Uh, so that's how hundred, hundreds of specimens survived, mostly from funerary offerings. And these are kept in various museums around the world. Also, the fact that you can make beer at the same time as making bread is also hugely important in human civilization, because all of the people who need to go to do all this heavy labor, you know, to farm, to harvest, to wino, and all of that, you can, tell, you can tell the people, hey, if you do all this work and the village survives, uh, great, but we can also make some beer to celebrate. The ancient Egyptians used a very early wheat, uh, the first cultivated the wheat, we think, called ember, which is also known now uh, as farro, and they used that for bread. They used also barley and einkorn Uh, but usually just for beer, and those are also both very primitive grains. Barley is used now for soups and faro is put into warm salads, as well as many other uh, uses of course. Emmer or farro and barley, these were like the barliest of the grains. They built the people that built the empires. It's a quite an emotional thing to know that uh, four and a half thousand years ago there was someone who was making this bread and she had uh, her starter and this was probably her whole life. She was making all these loaves of bread for all the workmen on the Giza plateau and it was her job and her life and it was her work. And with a little bit of this process making our own starter just like she did we almost get there and um, almost we can sense her baking and taste her baking and this is a a very important point I want to make across from from nowadays from the hardship of the pandemic trying to bake our bread with um, yeasts that we cultured ourselves simply from flour and water and bake our own bread we doing something that our ancient ancestors did too and this is the mind-blowing thing. We are so connected, so close. The farmer puts grains into the ground as if burying the dead and is reborn as a plant which itself bears grains again. To the ancient world, this process represented both the mysteries of life and the permanent cycle of the seasons. But as creation and perpetuation were seen as miraculous mission of women, nature had to be a mother. The earth which alone gives birth to all creatures and nourishes them, receiving their fertile seed again, said Aeschylus, the father of the tragedy. Aeschylus, as the father of the tragedy, we mean the father of uh, that form of theatrical drama, we call tragedy. Demeter, the generative force of the Earth, the Earth Mother, was the daughter of Titan Cronos and Rhea, mother of the gods. Her own brothers, Poseidon and Zeus, entertained feelings for the tall, beautiful, fair-haired and well-formed goddess, which were taken for granted by gods, though sinful among humans. One story has it that Demeter gave herself to a young man, Cretan hunter, in a farrow of a thrice-ploughed field, and by this liaison the goddess had a child called Plutos, or wealth. The field was instantly covered with magnificent wheat to make the baby a cradle. And Demeter was thenceforward honoured as the goddess of corn and harvest. By her brother Zeus, king of the gods, who assumed the shape of a snake to seduce her, she bore the beautiful flower-faced Persephone. According to the devotees of Orphic cults, she was also the mother of Dionysus, god of the vine, by her brother Poseidon, the sea god. But this was a mystery of which they did not speak openly. Other Greek myths make either Rhea or Semele the mother of Dionysus. Demeter was in Sicily supposed to be a favorite place of hers when Persephone, playing with her companions in the Nicaean fields, was carried off by Hades, god of the underworld. Zeus, who was happy to play a trick on the faithless Demeter, was in the plot with Hades. Hearing the girl's cries from far away, Demeter, who loved her daughter above all else, took the diadem of her bright hair and veiled herself in dark robes, wailing with despair and flying bedlike like over the water, which grew rough beneath her, and over the land, which turned to desert. She set off in search for Persephone. She wandered thus nine days, carrying two lighted torches, refusing to partake of nectar and ambrosia or to bathe in any water, but her own tears, until her beloved daughter should be restored to her. No rain fell from the heavy clouds that covered the earth and no plants grew or ripened. Exhausted with wandering, despair and fasting, Demeter was taken in by poor people living almost on a level with animals on the outskirts of a forest. Dysavlis and his wife Bobo and their three sons, half-wild herdsmen. They consoled her and at last made her smile and agreed to drink a decoction of barley and mint, which revived her. In thanks to these good people, the goddess gave them the ears of the corn she was still holding before she retreated to the temple of Philesis. The couple's youngest son, Triptolemus, determined to travel the world spreading this divine gift. Through him, men ceased to be savages, eating the plants they gathered, learned to cultivate grain. He is depicted driving a chariot with winged wheels and holding a sheaf of corn as a whip. Since no one had anything to eat in Demeter's absence, no sacrifices or offerings were made to honour the gods. Iris, goddess of the rainbow, was sent to reason with the inconsolable mother, but in vain. One by one, the immortals came to love his wonderful gifts upon her, but all Demeter wanted was her beloved daughter. At last, Zeus sent Hermes, messenger of the gods and patron of merchants, down to the underworld, and Hermes, who was noted for his cunning, persuaded Hades to release Persephone. The lord of the underworld allowed his mourning wife to go, but when she opened her mouth in a cry of joy, he seized his chance to make her swallow a pomegranate seed. She had now broken the fast and joined upon all in the underworld and would have to return to begin it again. Hermes led Persephone to the temple of Eleusis, where Demeter was waiting. As mother and daughter embraced, the pharaohs opened and shoots of corn came up in thick rows. The earth was covered with green leaves and flowers and branches were laden with fruit. When the harvest had been brought in, Persephone had to submit to her fate. From then on, she passed one-third of the year underground, returning to spring to spend the remaining two-thirds of the year with her mother and the other immortals. Since then, nature has been unable to deck herself with flowers, ears of corn and fruits, until the penance of winter is over. One of the rites of Alepsis, a temple dedicated to Demeter, consisted of contemplating grains of wheat, among all the people the agrarian deities, particularly the gods associated with cereals, have been regarded as initiators as well as nurturers, providing food for both body and soul. Homer, the great epic Greek poet, defined human beings as the ethos of flour, referring to the cereals which were already the staple food of the Achaeans of the heroic age, and in the Republic, Plato called for a return to that healthy diet. And for their nourishment, men will provide meal from the barley and flour from the wheat, and roasting and kneading these, they will serve noble cakes and loaves on some arrangement of reeds or clean leaves. It sounds as if Plato's Republic would have suited the followers of those macrobiotic or zen cereal-based diets, which have been uh, become so fashionable uh, in the West uh, since their introduction from the Far East. However, it is interesting to find the suggestion in this text that the flour rather than the grain was roasted. That would mean it would have been eaten simply mixed with liquid without further cooking, and would be perfectly digestible rather on the principles of today's Eastern um, baby cereals. In Sparta, where Lycurgus decreed that meals should be eaten communally, the basis of the democratic uh, menu was a kind of uh, barley porridge eaten with the famous black broth, which Athenians thought it was disgusting. The black broth itself was a kind of liquid stew of goulash-like consistency. And to claim his share of it, everyone had to provide the administration with a medimne, which uh, was about 50 liters of barley flour a month. Perhaps this was why barley was always retained uh, its connotations of austerity, even when it was lavishly served.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, It's a,
0: it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
1: Bread was a staple, of course, in ancient Greece and Rome. It looked slightly different than our modern-day artisanal, handmade sourdough bread loaves, and it was made mainly from spelt or emmer. The Roman Republic, too, starts with a household farm. Wheat and bread are the foundation of the most important republics of the ancient times. The first uh, Greek breads were also cooked in the embers or under a dome-shaped bell. But then the Greeks invented the true bread oven, which could be preheated and opened at the front. This was to be the general model for culinary use. In ancient times, barley maza was a staple food. Solon which was uh, one of the lawmakers in uh, the early years of the Athenian Republic, drawing up laws to regulate everything, even the bread in Athenian mouths, decreed that a wheat and bread, or called artos, might be eaten only on feast days. It was made at home in the form of a round loaf. In the 5th century BC, however, At the time of Pericles, artos could be bought from a baker's shop. So could Maza, which was cheaper and long remained the staple food of the poor. From the time of Pericles onwards, the art of the Greek bakers lay not only in mixing of various kinds of bread dough, but above all in the different shapes of the loaves they made, often designed to be appropriate to some particular occasion. What different what different types of bread do we know of? Klebanitos, mentioned in a play by Aristophanes, and Cappadocian milk bread, both uh, were baked in a mould. Boletus, as its name indicates, was a mushroom-shaped uh, type of bread and had a poppy seed sprinkled on top. Streptiki was a plated loaf. Blosmilos was marked out into squares. Daraton, an unleavened bread, was the shape of a flat cake. Almogaeus, a coarse rustic bread, was made in country areas. Pheos was a wholemeal bread and again was for the common people. Sincomiste, a dark bread made with unbolted rye flour, had the same apparent effect as the brown bread of today. The loaves shown in the terracotta may be agoreos, bread of the marketplace, agora, huge quantities of wheat were sold by retailers. The Greeks uh, distinguished between the bread-making factory or Artokopion and the bread-depository or or Artopolion. Chondrite, made from spelt, and Semidalite, made from fine wheat flour, were popular with with the most prosperous customers. Hard tack for sailors was made at Rhodes, the island of um, the Colossus. Hemiarton was the bread of, the, of Ephesus, a crescent shaped in homage to Artemis, the moon goddess. In Rome, around uh, the 30 BC, during the reign of Augustus, there were 329 bakeries in Rome, run by Greeks with Gaulish assistance. Really, there was such a um, sophistication, such a level of sophistication in, in, in the ancients that... Um, They gave us all these different types of breads and knowledge. And um, what did we leave it all behind, I wonder? Romans also made breads with uh, flavoured with cumin and anise, or grape must cakes and bread. Um, My favourite hero, of course, is Archestatus. And um, no doubt he has um, something to say about fine bread too. First, then, I will list the gifts of Demeter. Of the third tresses, my dear Moscus. Keep it safe in your heart. Now, the best to get hold of, And the finest of all, Cleanly bolted from barley with a good grain, Is in Lesbos, In the waves around the breast of famous Eressos. It is whiter than snow from the sky. If the gods eat barley groats, And the Hermes must come down and bite from here. In seven-gated Thebes too, It is reasonably good. At in Thassos and some other cities. But it is like grape peeps compared with a lesbian. Get that idea clearly in your head. Get hold of a Thessalian roll, rounded into a circle and well pounded by hand. They themselves call this roll krimnitas, but others call it hondrinos bread. Then I praise the son of fine wheat flour from Tegea, ass bread, Bread made in the market of famous Athens provides for mortals of an excellent quality. In Erythrae, which bears clusters of grapes, a white bread comes out of the oven, bursting with delicate flavours of the season, and will bring pleasure at the feast. Bread and pulses were the two vehicles to get calories into the Greek and Roman diet. Pompeii... uh, has commercial bakeries on every street corner. Panis Quadratus, a round loaf that has been excavated at many sides uh, around Vesuvius, it was uh, the main, um, it seems to, be, seems to be the main bread. Uh, both Greeks and Romans also baked on the hearth under a cover or a testum. The cooks piled red-hot coals over the testum and thus created a mini-oven on the open hearth. So, the space inside this oven was moist with the steam during the baking, and this is understood to be very effective in achieving uh, good bread, as we all sourdough home bakers know now very well. We cannot really duplicate this technique very effectively at home, though, what I found, obviously, and a lot of you know, a large casserole or a cast iron saucepan that is oven proof uh, can be very effective. It's worth noting also that many of the testa found by archaeologists have a small number of holes in the top. So I think uh, a clay a clay pot for flowers, like a flower pot, big enough, with a hole on, on the bottom, if you put it upside down in uh, the oven, that could work as well as an ancient testum. Fair is the loaf that famous Athens sells to mortals in her marketplace. Those breads from the clay ovens of vinus try, white and blooming with the gentle seasons, are a joy with dinner. A very interesting fact that I've learned recently is that um, the offerings for prayer uh, in ancient Rome used to be called adorentum had, and had to be of the finest flower, which was known to Greeks as a uh, chondrite. In Rome, the word um, most commonly used, ador, which is related to the verb adoro, it's um, the offering for the prayer, adorentum, and that's where our word adore comes from. Barley was one of the earliest forms of um you know cereals that humans used and um, made bread from, but it was of the lowest quality. It was easier to grow and grows well in poor soils and so with this fact we understand why it had such an importance in the ancient Greek world uh, most of um, most of the mainland Greece is not very fertile at all so. And that's another reason that when a city-state had population expansion, then it was sending colonists around uh, the ancient Mediterranean. There wasn't enough fertile land for everybody to share. So people used to live on a boat and uh, go to Sicily or Asia Minor or around uh, the Black Sea, where there's lots of fertile land around. And um, yeah, especially Sicily and southern Italy with all the Greek colonies, which was called Magna Graecia in the ancient world. Um, the land was so fertile and we know that also in the Roman Republic, and the early Roman, um, well yeah, early Roman Republic, the conquest of Italy and Sicily provided Rome with uh, abundant um, cereal. They could feed uh, their armies. Barley is very low in gluten and when only barley meal or flour is used for bread, the resulting loaf uh, is very flat and heavy. And also the keeping qualities of this bread are poor as well, too. The crust and the texture can be very dry. All in all, it doesn't seem to be very appetizing, does it? But it seems like uh, the ancient bakers, if preparing barley rolls for an elaborate banquet, would have mixed the barley meal with some other flour like emmer to produce a lighter loaf. Coarse bread would be out of place in these banquets, Spare a minute here to think back to how the ancient Greeks ate. Reclining on sofas, one hand keeping the head up, the other grabbing the morsels of food. These tasty little mezes called opso, and they had no forks. They were picking these uh, tasty foods with a piece of flat bread, or pita, and straight in their mouths. So flat barley bread was okay, Actually, it was more than okay. It was what it was used for that kind of matter. So all starts to make a little bit of a sense, doesn't it? And we also need to remember that uh, double-baked barley bread, which still exists today as, and is known as dacos, has been, obviously, it's been used a lot in the, in the, uh, in the Mediterranean Islands, in the Aegean Islands, such as Crete and Cyclades, where the soil is poor and it's, it's not. And they're small islands, so you can't have a huge production of wheat. So, yeah, barley is still used and it's made to tacos. And also, obviously, the double-baked uh, ancient tacos, dry barley cakes, was probably what travelers and soldiers used to carry with them. Of course, they still are made of barley flour to this day. Spelt is an old uh, wheat grain, which was also eaten in other forms, such as polenta or porridge or gruel or grains. Bread and grinding uh, grain was a woman's thing. It was very labor-intensive and takes so much time. The Romans used uh, the yeast of the mast of wine to make bread. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Pliny the Elder has um, a method of making leaven, or dough as we would call it, From his uh, Historia Naturalis, which was published around the year 77 CE, roughly 1940 years ago. So the ingredients, we have uh, have two cups of millet, or whole wheat uh, flour, two cups of grapes, rinsed, two cups of tepid water, and a cheesecloth. So step one, rinse the grapes and tie into a cheesecloth pouch, smash them in a bowl. Drain, add water, mix in flour, and cover the grapes with a mixture. Cover the bowl. Leave it in a warm place for one or two days. Step 2. When the starter is fermenting, bubbles will appear. Remove the grape pouch and dispose. Start again if white or black mold has formed. Transfer into a fresh container and add half a cup of flour and half a cup of water. Leave for another day. Step 3. Check if a strong-smelling liquid has formed. Stir it back in. Add more flour if the mixture seems wet. Step 4. After 4 or 5 days, you should see significant growth and bubbles forming. The leaven is ready. Step 5. Store in the fridge in an airtight container. Feed your leaven with flour after use. If we want to bake like a the Romans, and make a couple of two small round breads, we will need 325 grams of white flour, 325 grams of whole grain flour. Uh, Normally for this kind of um, sourdough-style breads, it's uh, recommended to have organic flour, uh, with no chemicals or anything else. Um, 250 grams of bread starter, or Plinus starter. 500 milligrams of tepid water, 10 grams of salt, and 10 grams of crushed Roman coriander. Well, coriander seeds, basically. And some semolina flour for dusting. So, as we said, feed the start in the night before bread making. Nourish it with flour and water and leave it out overnight on the counter to activate it and get it ready. On baking day, prepare the bread dough in the morning as this... uh, Loaf will likely have six to eight hours turn, uh, turn around depending on the heat and the humidity where you live. In a large mixing bowl, dissolve the bread starter in the two cups of water and whisk it together. Grind the coriander using mortar and pestle. Add the salt and the ground coriander with the flour and stir together for a few seconds. Add the mix bit by bit into the liquid and gently fold it all together, kneading the wet and the dry ingredients into a mass. Once you have a well-needed cohesive bowl of dough, cover the mixing bowl with a damp tea towel and let the dough rest and rise for a few hours. After a few hours of rest, cut the dough into two even sections and fold and roll the dough in, into a small small round loaf. Use semolina flour for your hands and for your work surface so you can handle the dough without it sticking to anything. Cover the bules with a damp tea towel and let them rise until they double in size. When baking the loaves, ideally you want to do this in a wood-burning oven on a tripod above a fire or in a fire pit. But um, having a clebanus is what will give you a texture in the spring to the loaf that cannot be achieved otherwise. But since we cannot do that so easily, preheat your oven at 230 degrees Celsius. Place your, your um, cast iron pot or your testum in the oven and preheat it empty for an hour. Score your loaves in any fashion you like. You can create four wedges, as this, this is um, the type of specimen that we found in uh, Pompeii. It was ex- excavated in Pompeii. Panis quadrati, as we said earlier on. I'll upload some photos of that in my pattern for you to see. After an hour of preheating, remove the clip bands from the oven with your oven gloves, of course. Don't try it uh, without. And then slide one loaf gently to the center of the of the Klebanosis base. Place the cover back on and put it back in the oven. Now turn your oven down to 200 degrees Celsius and bake the loaf for 30 minutes. Then remove the top and bake it again for another 15 minutes to brown the top of the loaf. Once cold and brown, remove the loaf and let it stand until it's cool. Serve it plain or with olive oil or fresh cheese. Baking bread in a preheated ceramic oven environment makes the quality of the crumb and the crust very very different. You have this chewy texture that modern bakers aim to achieve with the, the, the humidity ovens. You can make some ancient, ancient stylish style barley rolls following the recipe below. First let's make the leaven: 60 grams barley flour and one teaspoon fresh yeast. Dissolve the yeast in 15 milliliters of warm water and use the and use to form a dough with the barley flour. Alternatively, you can use some of your um, starter from pliny, the wine, uh, the grape starter, um, and yeah, use about um, 20 grams of of that starter. So knead briefly and mould into to a pot. Cross it lightly and put a thumbprint in the center. In there, pour two teaspoons of warm water. And place it in a glass dish with a lid and leave it to ferment in a warm place for at least 24 hours. Now for the dough. Mix 170 grams strong whole wheat flour, preferably spelt, and 170 grams of barley flour. Add a teaspoon of salt and then leaven our starter. Form a dough with sufficient amount of warm water. Knead well and allow to rest and rise in a bowl in a warm place until it has doubled in size. Then divide the dough in 12 pieces and mold them into smooth balls. Leave to rise in a warm place covered with a cloth. Heat the oven at 200 degrees and also heat if you have the clay pot or a baking uh, cast iron pot. This will be our testum, as we mentioned earlier, our baking cover. Brush the tray with a little olive oil and place the rolls into two circles of six with the edges barely touching cover with the up-10 container and bake for 15 to 20 minutes until lightly golden and hollow sounding when tapped. And that's it. This is our story of ancient uh, bread. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You'll find more information and um, photos and recipes on Patreon. Many, many thanks to my patrons for their incredible support. These are, with no particular order, Alexis R Steve in New York Leah in Holyhead Lauren Dimitris in Volos Christopher in London Dwight Zeynep in Sacramento Phil in Athens Sterios in Grevena Andrew in Ann Arbor Guy in From Dimitris in London Andrew in Norwich Pauline Rachel in Hitchin, Tom in Margate, Craig in Portsmouth, Mark in London, Damien in London, Deborah, Andrew, Paul in Norwich, Dan in Lanzarote, and Jessel in Milton Keynes. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and see you all soon! Thank you for listening. I am Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Thank you, and goodbye.